but it is a uh, the special time of the year, a time when we uh, consider the the coming of Christ to the earth, and uh, as we have been considering, um, focusing on the Christ this year, we have looked at the shadow of Christ, the life of Christ, and um, last week we began looking at the third phase of this, the return of Christ, and what a wonderful time to be considering the return of Christ, or the second coming of Christ, by also reflecting on the first coming of Christ, and as we as we meditate on his coming in his incarnation to the earth, it's a reminder to us of looking to the fact that he is coming again. And if you believe that he came before, then you believe that he's coming once again. And so we have uh, begun looking at that. And uh, we like doing the Advent candle, the Advent wreath here as a reminder to us, not just for the kids to look at that white candle saying, oh, it's getting closer to the white candle time, you know. Because I remember as a kid, that was well, that was the concept of the Advent wreath. That was we're getting closer to the white candle. The white candle meant what? Presents, right? So, so try try to keep that part of it out of your brain, okay? White present does not mean presence for you, other than the one. It means that the present to you, and that is the present from God to you, and that is Jesus Christ, right? And so that's what that's all about. But it is a reminder to us that as this world wants you to focus on materialism, and as Thanksgiving is beginning to lose its meaning of being thankfulness to God, rather Thanksgiving is now being seen as what? Shopping. Shopping okay? It is thankfulness to, to your country and everything else, and so you go and, and celebrate the God of materialism and, and to do all your shopping. And no longer is it Black Friday, but no, now it's, it's on Thanksgiving Day. And so as, that, as it begins to be blurred, and you begin, you know, and even more and more of this culture, we, we lose focus of Christ's coming. We need these things, these, these opportunities to regain our focus, to remember what Christmas is all about. And so we began looking last week at the return of Christ. And last week we looked at the prophecies of his return. Um, this week we want to look at the climate of his return. And as I stated that as we do this, we're going to spend the very first beginning part of this in our Advent Reflection. Normally we would do an Advent Reflection earlier, and then we would do the message. But because they tie together, we're going to kind of do them together. And so first I want to look at the climate, if you would, of, of his first coming. So we have the climate of his return. But first, when he first came, what was the climate like when Christ first came, the climate of his, of his incarnation? Well, first of all, let's talk about the political climate. What was it like when Jesus came to the earth? What do we know what the, what the world was like? Well, first of all, we know that there was Roman domination, okay, somewhere. There we go, Roman domination. That Rome would, had domination over the entire earth, that they were the, they were the world empire. And what was important about it is when we look at this as far as Christ is concerned, okay, is that when Rome was expanding, okay, that the Hasmonean Empire, this is before Jesus' day, the Hasmonean Empire was able to hold off Rome. Not many countries were able to hold ba- hold back Rome and, st- and stifle them in their in their um, situation. I, I liken it, if you, if you would, this is going to sound like a warped illustration, but I liken it to the Georgia Bulldogs against LSU last night, okay? For, for one half, for 30 minutes, the Bulldogs held off LSU. And it actually looked like they were what? Winning, okay? At the end of the half, if you didn't watch it, they, the Bulldogs were winning 10-7, to 7, you know, over the number one team, undefeated team in the country. It was just an amazing thing. They held the team that, you know, that runs over every other team. They held them to 12 yards, not one first down in the, in the first half. A phenomenal thing. I'm not from Georgia. I'm from Pittsburgh, okay? So anyways, but, so it sounds like I'm a big Bulldog fan. But it was a phenomenal moment, okay? But I told the boys as we were coming over for youth group, you know, that, that, you know, this is all well and fine, but LSU is a what? 
It's a second half team. It's a second half team. Well, I don't know if you saw the score this morning. It's 42 to 10. Okay, Georgia was winning. They got the first 10 points. They were winning 10 to 7, but they lost the game 42 to 10. It tells you what the second half looked like. Well, that's what that was like in 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 those days. The Hasmonean Empire for the Jews held off Rome. Get it? They won the first half. It looked like they were able to do what no other country was able to do. But the second half was still coming. And we know then by the time Jesus was born that Israel was really seen as a province, if you would, of what? Of Rome. Now, what was different about about them than many other countries is that Israel still had Israel still had a pseudo Israeli king. I say pseudo because Herod wasn't a Jew. He was a what? He was an Edomite. He was an Edomian, which means he was from Esau, not from Jacob. Okay, which was a real slam for the Jews because Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, but now a descendant of Esau was their king. And then it got, just before Jesus was born, Herod took on the name, and it was given granted to him by Rome, king of the Jews, the king of Judah. Well, that was a major slam for them, okay? Now, Herod, Rome liked Herod because Herod was buying into the Roman culture, you know, and the, and the whole thing about promoting the, the, the Roman emperors and stuff like that. And so as he was building his cities, he was a big architect and big builder. And as he was building these new cities, he would give them Roman names, names that were giving allegiance to the Caesar. So you have Caesarea, you have Caesarea Philippi, uh, you have Tiberius up in, in Galilee. He was giving them names that were honoring to the different um, Caesars and such. There were Roman names. In order to do that, though, think about this, okay, bring it into our, our current culture here a little bit. In order to do all these great building projects, what had to happen? There had to be money. And the second thing that we know about going into the, the, the climate of Jesus' day, there was extensive taxation. There was a lot of taxation. There was Rome wanted their share, okay? I mean, that was part of being in a, a province of Rome. Rome wanted her share. Well, Herod wanted to impress Rome, so that meant that Herod wanted his good share too. And so there was all this taxation going on. Now, we know that this comes into play because it was in the time when Jesus was born that Luke chapter 2 tells us, the definitive moment when Jesus was born, that it was while Quirinius was what? The governor of Syria, and he commanded what? That the whole world, or actually the ancient Near East, their world, you know, their area, should be taxed. Or should, there should be a census, okay? And so it's like today, we have, every 10 years, we have another census to, to figure out how much you're worth, okay? And every year, actually, the county rides around, and, and they, they look at your property to do a what? Property assessment, not to see how much God has blessed you, but they want to know how much you've been blessed in order that they can what? They can tax you, so they can be a part of your blessing as well, okay? And so, yeah, I don't want to get into the political message here. But anyways, um, so, <laughs> that's not. And so so we have this, this concept that's going on. That was a political climate that was going on that Jesus was born into. Now, you got to understand now, this was a big deal because Jews saw themselves as what? God's people, free, okay? They didn't submit very well to the hand of any ruler, at least not most of them. Well, that bleeds then into this religious climate because the Jews as a whole were a religious people, quote-unquote, okay? As a whole, Americans, okay, and again, I'm not trying to make a, a big analogy here other than just take it, are seen to be what? 
religious peoples as well. Um, well, first of all, in the religious climate, there were those who were politically religious. Politically religious. What do I mean by that, politically religious? And yeah, no, I messed that up, didn't I? Anyways, politically religious. Is that they were looking to Rome to be their Messiah, their deliverer. They had bought in to Roman domination. And they were okay with the culture that was going on. They could hold a little bit of their own little social, cultural, religion stuff, but Rome, Rome was it. You know, they were getting all of their, 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 their provision and protection from Rome. Does that make sense? As long as Rome was in charge, there was what? There was peace and safety. Okay? Because no one's going to mess with Rome. So, you know, as long as you bought into the Rome thing, you're doing good. And so there were those who were politically religious. Now, the sad thing is that many of those happened to be the, the leaders of the, the quote-unquote church of the day, right, of, of the religious factions, okay? And that was because Rome had given Herod the power to appoint the high priest, okay? So all the religious leaders were very good with the political system because they had their power not from the, the word of God, but from the word of Caesar, which happened to be Herod at that moment. Secondly, there were those who were culturally religious. I think they're like the people down south, okay? And uh, that they're culturally religious. Like last night, we had the lighting of the Christmas tree, um, Columbia County. And, you know, they have an invocation, they have different things. But I would say that we are a culturally religious people. We are not, we're going to say a biblically religious people. We're a culturally religious. That when you talk to people, they go to what? They go to church, okay? But do they know the truth? Are they really worshiping and celebrating the reason for what we do? This season, and I may be stepping on some toes, and I may be making you think. And if that is you, then you need to think. And that is, what are you celebrating this season? Is it that Santa Claus is coming? Is it that Jesus was born so we can give gifts to one another? Is it so that we can have indulgence in ourselves and we can and have the bigger gifts and that kind of stuff? Or are we celebrating really the incarnation of God to the earth? That Jesus Christ came to the earth that He would be the redemption for your sins. Well, during that day, there were many Jews who were culturally religious. They would go to the temple, they would offer their feasts, but they still were not looking for Messiah. They were looking for a physical Messiah. Not the political, it was one of them being political, but they weren't looking to Rome. They were actually looking for a physical political Messiah who was going to come and do what? Deliver them from Rome. Okay? So they could be culturally more religious. Do you understand? So today, we have a, 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 a political season coming upon us next year, in which I, I get frustrated when I hear believers, Christians, who are looking to a political party as their Messiah. They're looking to a man to go into an oval office. They couldn't make a circle, so they had to make an oval. Anyways, that they go into this oval office, who's going to deliver us? Who's going to give us jobs? Who's going to bring us wealth? Who's going to give us freedom and, 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 and protection and defense? One guy. Listen, the president is a very impotent position. He can only do what? what? Well, from, the, from, the, from, from man's perspective, what, what Congress allows him to do, okay? Da, 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 and what the, the, the Supreme Court doesn't overrule him in. But the reality is that as a, as a whole, he still can only do what God allows him to do and God allows him to accomplish. Do you get it? I mean, it's just an amazing thing. But there were in those days, and we'll talk about these people in a couple weeks from now when we look at the anticipation of his coming, uh, anticipation of his return, there were those who had a biblical 
uh, who were biblically religious. And they were those who were looking for a biblical Messiah. Anna, Simeon, were ones who were, were waiting in the temple for, for Messiah to come. There were others in that day who understood the scriptures and were looking for the one who was to come, just as Yahweh had proclaimed. Now, how does that apply to us today as well? Well, we today are looking for the return of Christ. And we're looking at the climate of the return. So here I forgot to, I'm supposed to light the candle. See, I'm, I'm standing at the side, I'm looking at my notes, and in my notes, in big letters I wrote, light the candle. But because I'm not looking at my notes, I didn't see my notes that says, light the candle. So anyways, but the climate of his return, in the same way. And so my challenge to you would be, take us, take the world, take everybody right now, and and if you would extrapolate us or suck us down and, and place us back into the time of Jesus' first coming. Which of those groups would you have been a part of? Because the climate of Christ's return, honestly, looks a whole lot, the saint landscape looks a whole lot like it did on his first coming. Okay? And so today, though, I want to look at, first of all, in this climate, um, into the Word of God and, and see what um, God's Word says about it. And we're going to look, first of all, that it was a climate of unexpectancy. Okay? That when Christ comes back, there is going to be this time when people are not going to be expecting it. Okay? And so we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, it's going to be a time of temporal peace. Turn with me to, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. We read this this morning um, as part of our, um, as our, our Bible reading. But look what it says when it, when it says, um, talking about his, his coming. He says, you know, I don't want you to be ignorant because those who fall asleep, they're going to they're gonna go before you. Okay, And we're not really going to talk about this part of it. Coming through chapter 4, the end of 4, verse 13, coming down. He says, the Lord, verse 16, the Lord himself is going to descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet him in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we be always be with the Lord. Verse 18, what? Comfort one another with these words, right? Well, then he goes on and he starts talking a little bit more now about it happening. And he says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes to the thief in the night. And when they say, Shalom, and safety, then what? Sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. There is going to be a law before the storm. There's going to be a point in the world when the world is going to think everything is just fine and dandy. Everything is okay. They're going to cry out peace and safety. Jesus said in Matthew 24, he said, you know, when you're going to get to go into those days, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be earthquakes and pestilences and all these things going on. And so you kind of wonder, how are they going to be saying peace and safety? Well, let me ask you a question right off the bat. When you read biblical prophecy, from whose perspective is biblical prophecy? No, not God's. I mean, yes, God speaks it, but from whose? Um, sort of from the prophets, but from the people's perspective. Okay, Rodney, you're getting there, okay? What people? The Jews. you got to understand biblically that when these prophecies are given, they're given not to us Gentiles, not to the world in general. They're spoken from the perspective of Jerusalem and the people of Israel. Do you understand? 
So many times we think peace and safety, and we think it's around the world. No, specifically speaking, it's when the people of, of Israel are crying out peace and safety. That means that, in, in my mind, as I read this, and I understand it, and as I read the, the prophets, Isaiah and such, and we've been going through, if you haven't been to Sunday school, you've got to come to Sunday school. We've been going through the book of Isaiah. We're at chapter 50, 65, going into 66, which means we're almost done with it. Okay, But, and as we've gone through it, we understand that God in his prophecy is still always recoursing things through the eyes of the Jews. And there is going to come a day that even though there's a turmoil that's going on in the world, for Israel, there's going to be what? There's going to be peace and safety. They're going to feel secure. They're not going to be worried. Now, honestly, if you go to Israel right now, almost everybody in Israel owns what? And, you'll, and you would understand this even more so if you were alive and really paying attention during Desert Storm days. Gas masks. Some bomb shelters, but gas masks. Everybody had a gas mask, and they were carrying it with them everywhere they went. Would you call that peace and safety? No. I mean, I mean that's, that's kind of a rough moment to see everybody walking around with a gas mask and say, oh, they were really expensive. So it's not peace and safety at that moment. But there's going to come a time tomorrow, three days from now, three years from now, I don't know when it'll be, that they are going to feel secure. Now, I happen to think that that's going to come in a, along the line when Antichrist comes and that Antichrist is going to make them a what? A treaty. I think it's going to help. How long is the treaty going to be, Steve? Seven years. You're going to probably make them a seven-year treaty. We know that from the book of Daniel, not from the New Testament, but from the book of Daniel, chapter 9, okay, that Antichrist is going to come, and he's going to make them a, a treaty for seven years. And in the middle of the treaty, he's going to do what? He's going to break it. We read that in Revelation chapter 11, the first three and a half years, and then into chapter 12 and beyond. Okay, And so the Word of God is very consistent all the way through. Okay, And so if you take it literally, if you take it allegorically, you can say whatever you want to say. You can make it mean whatever you want to mean. I take it literally. And so God said that's what's going to happen. There's going to be the seven-year period when this guy's going to make this thing. And, and Israel's going to feel what? Secure. And when that happens, Jesus says, I'm coming back. But he says as well that it's a temporal peace. A temporal peace, okay? Because that when they say peace and safety, when they're feeling secure, what's going to happen? Sudden destruction is going to come upon them. It's going to be like a woman having her labor pains come upon it. Now, ladies, you know that when you're giving birth, that you go on for months. And your belly just starts, keeps growing, keeps expanding. But there's nothing major happening. But... All of a sudden, there's this moment where the, 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 the tummy starts to have a little bit more than indigestion. a little tightening going on. And you're starting to wonder, is this Braxton Hicks or is this the real thing? Okay? And so while you're not sure, you're kind of weighing it and you're trying to decide, should I go in, should I call, should I do whatever, da, da, da. It's going on. But there comes a moment in the midst of the labor pains when all of a sudden it gets what? It becomes really real. That's called transitional labor. All of a sudden, you go from the ooh to the oohs. That's what Paul's talking about. World, the world just went from the oohs to the oohs. He says, peace and safety, and then sudden destruction comes upon them like a woman going into transitional labor. And when that happens, it happens what? Quickly. I remember when Jessica was born. You know, 
and this is the first time, so, you know, first time guy, you know, like, uh, you know, and, and we're going through this thing, and, and Marge is laying in the bed, and she goes from 10 minutes apart to five minutes apart. She'd gotten sick. We won't go into the details. It wasn't pretty. And so I'm, you know, so I start making my calls, you know, and, uh, you know, pray for us, you know, clearly labor's really here. We're going from 10, now we're at five, you know, in just one moment, literally. And um, and while I was making my calls, she got sick again. And she went to two and a half minutes apart, like this. So within five minutes, we went from ten to two and a half. I said, don't get sick again. And uh, <laughs> and so, I mean, we were down. Like when we hit gate five going into the fort, we were somewhere in the minute to two minutes apart range. I mean, we were there. You know, it was happening. And um, And so it wasn't very long after we got to the... To the hospital that then Jessica was was born and so anyways it happened very quickly now the other part of the oh you know oh you know 20 minutes apart 15 minutes apart you know that that's you know you can deal with that kind of stuff you know but all of a sudden it hit transition and everything happened quickly that's exactly what's going to happen on Christ's return but what do we know before it happens the world's going to be looking at this time of tranquility or temporal tranquility, what they think is a time of shalom, especially from the perspective of the Jews. And honestly, if you look at the rest of the world, what has the United States and the rest of the world, Western world, tried to be involved in for 30, 40 years now, or even beyond that? Bringing peace to the Middle East, okay? And so we, we think that if we can bring peace between the Jews and the Arabs, that the rest of the world will have peace. Well, so the rest of the world, they'll, they'll see that as well. Well, what was the second thing? The second thing is there's going to be this ignorant optimism that goes on as well. And we read from what Jesus said in Matthew 24 when he was talking about those end times. He said, but of the day and hour knows no one, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as it was in the days of Noah, so will also be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left, two women will be grinding in the mill, one will be taken, and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. And then in Second Peter 2, Peter refers to Noah, that time of Noah, um, when he's referring as well to Christ coming again. But he says, but God saved, God saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of what? Righteousness bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Now, the reason I threw that one in here, because we're talking about as it was in the days of Noah, okay, that there is going to be this ignorant optimism, and I'm not trying to be rude when I say it's an ignorant optimism, but ignorant just means what? You don't have, there's no knowledge. But what I want to bring out here is that though they didn't know, they should have known. Do you understand? Because as Noah was building that ark, and whether it took him five years or 120 years, and people want to debate the length of it, but we know that the maximum that it took him was 120 years, because in Genesis chapter 6, Yahweh says the days of man shall be 120 years. Okay. Now, whether he was declaring that man at that point was only going to start living 120 years, because after the flood we see that the age of man starts decreasing, or whether he was saying that man was only going to be on the earth for another 120 years, Okay, because he was going to have Noah building the ark, you can debate all you want. It doesn't matter. The point is that Noah then took the, the next so many years building this ark. And as he built the ark, we're told that he was a what? He was a preacher of righteousness. He proclaimed the righteousness of God. 
He had found favor, chen, in the eyes of God because he was a righteous man. He looked to Yahweh. Now, this is an amazing thing to me, okay, when you consider how many generations it was from that time. Now, I understand it was well over a thousand years, but guys were living in almost a thousand years. I mean, Adam lived 950 years, but he was already a mature individual when he was born, quote-unquote, or created, right? So you have Methuselah, who lived 965 years. Does anybody know the year that Methuselah died? He died the year of the flood. I love chronology. I love math. It's a wonderful thing. Anyways, and so God doesn't make any mistake. I mean, that would be a great place to have a mistake, right? That all of a sudden you do the math and Methuselah lives after the flood. That wouldn't make sense, right? But Methuselah dies. When you do the chronology, Methuselah dies. And then what? The flood comes. It's awesome. You know, God makes no mistakes, okay? So anyways, but he's from this godly line. Well, you know, they're having this influence. Lamech lived 777 years. He was a, he was a godly man, okay? Enoch was his father, right? Was his, was, I'm sorry, Enoch was his grandfather because you had Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and then Noah. Lamech was a, the father of Noah. Methuselah was the father of Lamech, and Enoch was the father of Methuselah. And what do we know about Enoch? He walked with God, and then he was no more. He was the first guy ever raptured, at least that we, we pictured it from the Bible, that you know, all of a sudden he was no more. We're not talking about that he died. He's the only one in the whole genealogy that we're not told that he died. He just was no more. He was 300-something years old when it happened. Okay, A godly line. And I've got to believe that these godly people were doing the same thing that no other godly man was doing, and that they were doing what? Proclaiming God. Proclaiming the righteousness that was in God. Well, I won't go through the whole, you know, and all the animals coming, but the fact is that the that these people were ignorant, okay? Because they heard the truth and they did what? They ignored it. Ignorant. They ignored the knowledge that was being given to them. And we're told it's going to be just like that in the days before Jesus comes again. Are you a proclaimer of righteousness? Are you a preacher? Of righteousness. That word preach is the word Caruso. It's Enrique Caruso. Have you ever heard of Enrique Caruso, the, the tenor? The, 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 the opera? It's like a herald. The king is coming! The king is coming! You ought to be out there in the world proclaiming that Jesus is coming again. It's not just, you're the preacher. No, I'm not a preacher. I'm a teacher. That's my function in the, in the body. I'm a pastor teacher. We all are supposed to be Preachers. Jesus told us to go out and to preach the gospel to every creature, to proclaim the gospel. We're supposed to be out there proclaiming it. If you believed, if you were Noah or one of his sons and you believed that you were building this ark because the flood was coming, because rain was going to come, something that no one ever saw before, and it was going to happen, like Chris was talking about that, that black swan last week thing, you know, something was going to happen that nobody ever experienced before, but it was really going to happen, but people don't think it's really going to happen because they never experienced it before. Well, if you know that Jesus is coming again, and you know when he comes that it's going to bring judgment to the world, and you don't tell people, what are you saying? I really don't care if you die and go to hell. You have the truth. You have the you have access to the door of the ark. You're taking the tickets. You're handing the tickets out. Whatever illustration you want to look at it. And if you're not proclaiming the truth, if you're not proclaiming your righteousness, then you're holding it to yourself. Well, Noah was a proclaimer of truth. But look what it says. As in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving marriage. Why? Because they thought life was just going to keep going on. It's good. Remember, we already said it was a temporal peace. 
they thought things were good. I mean, there's a good future happening here. I mean, things are looking bright. You know, the euro's doing well. You know, by that time, I don't know what they'll call it, but the United States dollar will be all one with it, and we'll have one more currency. And so whatever they want to call the thing, you know, things are doing well. We're looking really good. That's, you know, things are happening. But as we saw with the temporal peace, in just a moment, the flood's going to come. They're going to have this, this ignorant optimism that's going on. Well, thirdly, we're going to we see that it's, a time of great self-indulgence as well. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. A time of great self-indulgence. I could have said self-focus, um, however you want to look at it. But in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, we have, again, another... There are many passages that talk about the end times. Um, but in the beginning of verse 1, it says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of who? Themselves. They will be lovers of monies. They will be boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Does this sound like today? It's kind of scary, huh? It's going to get worse than that. Having a form of godliness but denying its Power. They're going to have a cultural religiousness that's going on. They're going to have this, this form of godliness, but they're going to deny the power. And from such people, you ought to what? Turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Hmm. Ignorant optimism. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifested to all, as theirs also was manifested. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecution, afflictions, which happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium and Elystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. We'll look at the rest of this in just a moment as we look at the next phase here. But what do we read? That in those days People are going to be lovers of themselves. They're going to have great self-indulgence. They're going to be looking to their own lusts. And how can I please my own self? So, today, it's amazing to me at the, the lines that we draw in our sin. What sin is acceptable? What lusts of the flesh are palatable to our culture? Now, I don't want to... Make it sound like I'm, I'm for one and I'm against the other, and all those kind of stuff, you know, just kind of, I mean, it's all evil in my mind. But we allow homosexuality, and that's good and fine, but if you're a pedophile, you're not good. Do you get it? Okay, but it really, biblically, it's all one and the, the same. Do, do you see? Okay, and so today we, we begin to do this, and I just wonder how long it will be till pedophilia is okay too. You know, will, will they all of a sudden rise up and claim to be a, a, a minority? And, and, and having rights themselves, and, and, and as long as they, they do it with mutual consent or whatever, da 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 da, that all, you know, I mean, just warped, isn't it warped? But it's all built upon what? 
self-indulgence, having no self-control. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Temperance. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And if you don't have the Spirit residing within you, guess what? Self-control goes out the window. I mean, think about you as a believer, how much you struggle probably at times with self-control. And people say, oh, I don't struggle. Yeah, think chocolate. Okay? All right, now now talk to me about self-control. You know what? I mean, you know, these people want to talk about pornography and talk about, let's think chocolate for a moment. Let, let's, let's think whatever food you like. It's all the same thing. It's self-control. You can't say no to yourself. So, you know, so, you know, Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged with what judgment you judge others to be measured to yourself, pressed down in full. So when you go to self-control, think self-control. Okay? And ask yourself, where do I stand on self-control? Yeah, ha, 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 ooh. <laughs> I got myself in trouble. Okay, anyways. So, a time of great self-indulgence. That's what the world's going to be seen as. It's an amazing thing. And again, I look at my culture, and I don't want to look at the United States and again, judge prophecy based upon the United States. Okay? Because, like I said, prophecy's from the perspective of, of Israel. Okay? So I want, I gotta be careful. Okay? Living in the United States. But clearly, as I look at the United States, I do see something that's, um, Sim, uh, a symptom, if you would, or uh, emblematic, is that the right word I'm looking for, of the rest of the world? Does that make sense? And as the United States goes sometimes, so does the rest of the world. Okay? And so we are filling the world with our harlotries and adulteries. I'm not trying to say that we're Babylon. I think we're close. And, um, and we are the ones who have filled the world with, with a lot of this, this trash. Okay? Well, the rest of the world wants to be like us. Think about China. Has anybody been reading what's going on in China right now? The masses are starting to get a taste of materialism. Say again? They're going. Are they really going to strike? Wow, that'd be interesting. And uh, anyways, Russia. I mean, what start? What what caused the major problems in Russia? It's when the people started to become self-indulgent. They weren't living for the state anymore. They were living for themselves. Now, I'm not trying to make a political message here, you know, kind of stuff, but just think it through, okay? That's what it's going to be like in these last days. It's going to be this time of great self-indulgence. Well, why? Again, going back to the top, it's going to be unexpectancy. They're not going to be expecting for Jesus to come at all. Why? Because they're not focusing on God. They're focusing on themselves. So when I think of the world and I think, oh, look at these guys, I have to ask myself, so what about you today, Bob? Are you expecting Jesus to come back? And if I'm expecting Jesus to come back, and I, I am, I expect him to come back in my lifetime, what effect is it having upon my life? Am I looking to the world for my peace? Am I, am I looking to the future with all the things I can get, all the goodies in the world, and I'm investing, you know, Matthew 6, and so I'm laying up treasures in, on the earth rather than in heaven? Am I seeking to indulge only myself? If those things really reflect me, then really I have to ask myself, do I really believe that Jesus is coming? Am I really expecting him? Again, we'll talk about this a little bit more in two weeks from now when we look at the anticipation of his coming. But the world's going to have, in this, the climate of his return, the world's going to have this great period of unexpectancy. Secondly, we see in the scriptures that not only is it going to be a period of great unexpectancy, but there's going to be a period of great heresy as well. 
it's a period of heresy. And, and as we look at this, the heresies, what we're going to see is that there's going to be a period of time when there's a lot of false Christs and prophets. Now, before I read this passage from Jesus, I want to tell you, I mean, you got, you know, sometimes you got to understand the words. The word Christ is really a Greek word. It's the Greek word Christos. Okay? It's a transliteration of the word, not a translation of the word. The word Christos literally means anointed one. Okay? It is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Mashiach. Okay? It's an anointed one. Okay? And so let's read what it says and let's come back down. It says, Jesus answered, this is Matthew 24, because the disciple says, you know, can you tell us what it's going to be? What's it going to be like? Jesus answered his disciples and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, in my name. Now understand what it says here. They're going to come in my name and they're going to say what? I am the Christ. Now stop for a moment because many times we see this thing differently, okay? That they're, that we say they're going to come in my name saying, meaning they're, they're going to come saying, I'm Jesus. Not necessarily. Read this a little bit different. Many are going to come in my name and say, I'm an anointed one. Do you see it now? Okay? Now it's not saying, I'm Jesus. Now they're saying what? Second Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul says, I'm jealous over you, the God of jealousy, because some may come up with another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit, and you may very well accept them. Right? And he goes on, and these are, these are, it's no wonder and marvel that these can do it, because Satan himself transforms himself to be an angel of light. Therefore, it's no wonder if his ministers also transform themselves to be ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their work, which means that when the, these ministers, false ministers of righteousness come, these workers of the devil come, they're going to pretend to be what? Ministers of God. And they're going to come in the name of who? Jesus. But it's not going to be the true Jesus' name. They say some are going to come with an, another gospel, another Jesus, or another spirit, and you may very well accept them. And so Jesus says, could this be the one and the same? I don't know. But it says, for many will come in my name, declaring Jesus' name, saying, I'm an anointed one, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. And all these are the beginning of sorrows or birth pains. Okay? Is really what it literally says. Because that goes back to what Paul said in Thessalonians. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. Who is he talking to? No, disciples. Jews, but Jews who what? Believe in him. So who's going to be being handed up? Believers. Okay, not necessarily Jews. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated. Believers of Jesus, followers of Jesus Christ, will be hated by all nations. Why? Because of Jesus' name. My mom and dad said they did an invocation last night. We were working in the concession stand, so I didn't hear everything was going on at that Christmas tree lighting. But my mom and dad were saying that there was an invocation going on. But what I asked my mom, and she wasn't positive about, was, did they pray in Jesus' name? Well, then he told me who who gave it, so I, I'm hoping that he did. Um, there was a pastor of Stevens Creek Community Church. I hope he did. But honestly, the world is okay with you praying to God. Because God is generic. It could be Allah. It could be Buddha. It could be Confucius. They just don't want you to pray to who? Jesus. They don't want you to pray in Jesus' name. Because now you declare who your God is. They're very okay with you generically talking to God. Just a few weeks ago, Thanksgiving... The Episcopalian Church over on Columbia Road held an interfaith service with the Muslims and the Jews. And they were all very good with one another praying to God. I haven't got the same God as that imam. 
My God is not Elah. My God is Yahweh, the one and only true God, who created the heavens and the earth, who became incarnate in the flesh during this season that we celebrate, so that he could be the redemption of my sins. Do you get it? There, there is none of this. Well, Jesus says, the world's going to hate you for my namesake. Verse 10. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Listen to this. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness, lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Who do you think he's talking about when he says many will be offended? No, he's talking about those who are called believers. There are people who proclaim to be followers of Jesus, but really aren't. Do you know when the genuineness of your faith is going to stand firm? Or is going to be testified to? That's right, when it's on trial. When you're threatened, when it's on trial, when you go through the fire. Some through the fire, some through the flood. But anyways... Some through the water, some through the, the blood. It's a great song. Anyways, um, but the fact is, when you go through the trials, when you go through the fire, that's when your genuineness is going to be seen. And the fact is that many will be offended. The word offended literally means to be caused to stumble. Stumble. Okay? And so we're told that the cross is a stumbling stone, is a stumbling block, okay? And at that time, when this persecution comes, and believers are starting to be uh, killed and, and, everything, and, and persecuted, and it's happening around the world, it's just not here in the United States, not like you think it is, not like it's going to be, I think, in my lifetime. Um, and I hope Jesus comes and I get to avoid all that. But anyways, it may not, I may have to go through it, right? But when that comes, when that time comes, guess what? Those who are His will be seen. They're willing to die. We just got another voice of the martyrs in. You know, we have magazines back there, by the way, a little publicity thing here. You know, they're free. Anything that's back there on the table is free. You don't have to pay for it, okay? So just take it. If you take one that there's only one of, take it, read it, bring it back so somebody else can read it. But those Israel, my glories, you know, you see there's lots of them there. Take them. They're free. Take them and keep them. Don't bring them back, okay? In fact, the older one, I see there's only one of them left back there. If you want it, take it because it's going to be thrown away after today. Um, anyways, but people are dying around the world for their faith. They're being put into prison for their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what's going to start to happen. There's going to be these false Christs, false anointed ones, and false prophets that are going to come, and, and, and they're going to teach falseness. They're going to teach a false religion. But those who are true are going to do what? Stand against it. And the rest of the world isn't going to like it. And we're going to start to give an account. Do you understand? So we go on, verse 23, drop down to verse 23, says, If anyone says to you, look, here is an anointed one, or there, do not believe it, for false anointed ones and false prophets, false proclaimers of God's word, will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Look, when these people come, and you're starting to see incredible things happening. I mean, I don't know if you've been, if over the last 20 years, you've kind of followed this anointing thing that's been going on. Okay? I found it very interesting that over the last decade or two, this term anointed one is really starting to take on greater and greater significance. In, in Toronto, there was an anointing. And down in, in Florida, there was an anointing happening. Do you all remember these anointings? Down in, down in, uh, up in Toronto, it was, um, the anointing that was happening here was the neighing in the spirit. They were all neighing like donkeys. I'd like to use another word, uh, that describes them better. Anyways, 
But um, and so they thought that if that if if you had the Holy Spirit falling upon you, you had a neigh like a donkey. It was called neighing in the spirit. Literally. I mean, think about it. I mean, this is not so stuff. And, and and the laughing in the spirit kind of stuff. You know? This is all anointings. You know, they have an anointing and, and, and so you pass on the anointing. I had somebody once come to me at a at a um at a funeral and he said, Man, you really have an anointing on you. And I went, Ah <laughs> That's that's not an an an, an term though, you know, you gotta be careful because John tells us. In First John chapter three, that we have anointing, we have an unction from the Holy One, and so we have an anointing from the Holy One that's upon us, a true anointing that comes. With us. So we got to be careful, okay, because we have the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon us, but we don't go around proclaiming it. And I have an anointing, you know. But the days are coming where people are—that's the thing that they'll be looking at. You really have an anointing. Well, honestly, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, guess what? You're anointed. That's exactly right. You are anointed, and you have a ministry to go out and do. But these guys are going to be able to do what? Signs and wonders. That if it was possible, even the very elect would what? Be deceived by it. Interesting stuff. See, I told you beforehand. Who said that? Jesus. God in the flesh. Now, you know, you can't even discount this as saying, well, there's just maybe Paul. This is Jesus. God in the flesh is telling us this is going to happen. It's going to happen. Do you believe that Jesus' words are true? I've told you beforehand, therefore, they say to you, look, he's in the desert. Don't go out. Look, he's in the inner rooms. Don't believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Which means what? When it happens, what? You'll know it. <laughs> Everybody will know it. It's not going to be this hidden thing, you know. And, and think about it. Think, anyways, I, I could spend time on it. Just all these false Christs and prophets are going on. And they're going to teach what? False doctrine. The Joseph Smiths, I mean, that's just, you know, we look at those things, but you can get into the, that's, that's the LDS, Mormon stuff. But you can get into stuff with, even within our own little, our own little areas where people are, are teaching false doctrine, unbiblical stuff, you know, and, and they, they teach everything else. And that gets into this, this next verse here with 2 Timothy 3 and 4 where he says, Evil men and apostles will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. Well, that means what? Go to the Word. 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 Don't be leaving men. Be leaving God. But if you're not spending time in God's Word and you don't know true doctrine, you'll be what? You'll be deceived. And so in verse four, chapter four, it continues on because that continues on past. He says, "For the time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine." I would love to continue to, to preach on the two o'clock, but you guys can't. No, I'm just joking. Anyways, but I, I joke, but that, but la, la, we laugh, but it is true. We have been conculturized to things, and 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 we we don't we want things within our own little package. We want it our own little way. And it says they will not endure sound doctrine, but they will, according to their own what? Desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And so we have all these different denominations and all these different things going on because people want to believe what they want to believe. Do you understand? Now, I understand there's a little bit of, you know, we're going to have debate on things, okay? But when we start getting into churches that are because of flavors, it's because people want things to be their way. Now, I'm going to step on stoves just a little bit. Many of us are homeschoolers here, okay? And, and you come together and we have the big homeschool, homeschool groups coming together because 
because we want to shelter our kids from the, the people of the world. And so we have itching ears, and we do it according to our own desires, and we want to do this. And you say, oh, man, you're, you're st- I'm a homeschooler. I can say this. You know? It's like when I was the, a pastor of an independent Baptist church, I could pick on the Baptist. And so it's the fact, you know, like when we get to heaven, you know, there's going to be all these people going, you know, but it's the Baptists who think that they're the only ones who are going to be there. They're going to be shocked when people who are outside of Baptist faith are going to be there. Well, it's the same thing with home scores, you know. Sometimes with home scores, we tend to do this thing too. And we, we want to do everything just our own little way and, and, and this kind of stuff. And we've got to be careful and we've got to look to see what the Word of God says, not what we'd like to have, what's comfortable to me and my family, okay. And so I just want to challenge you. I'm not picking on any certain little thing there. I'm just saying. It says that because in the end times, this is what's going to be a picture of. According to their own desires... Because they have itching ears, they're going to heap up for themselves their own teachers. They're going to go their own way. They're going to find somebody who's saying what they like, and they're going to go to him. It's not a matter of whether the guy is teaching what? The Bible, the truth. It's, are they saying what I like to hear? And so that's who they're going to go to. Well, we go on. It's going to be full of apostasy as well. Apostates. Apostates are those who turn away from what they have believed, turn away from the faith. Now, we look at it from the, the concept of Christianity, but clearly you can have apostates from any other religion, but we're looking at it from the perspective of Christianity. And we're told there in 1 Timothy chapter 4, not 2 Timothy, but this is 1 Timothy 4, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God. What is he saying as a whole there? Again, the same thing is that they're teaching things that are extra biblical. These aren't things that are based on the Bible. And, you know, I some of you have told me about how hard it is to find a church where they're teaching the Bible. You know, they may be telling a good moral story, they may be telling a, a truth, but they don't go to the God's Word and they don't expose it on God's Word. And and I don't say that to pat myself on the back. I mean, I, I just think it's amazing. When I was first saved, maybe I praise the Lord that I was saved where I was saved, but that's never been an issue to me. You should be studying what? God's Word. God's Word is a source of truth. It's not any other, it's not the doctrine of man. I'm not going to go to a theology book to find out what it says. I want to go to God's Word. And that's why, I mean, I've got commentaries back there, but honestly, if you pick them up, you can see a layer of dust on them. Okay, because I generally, as a whole, do not go to a commentary for my studies. God's word is what? The source of all truth. And Jesus said that when he left, he was going to give me the Holy Spirit. Now, I know I wasn't there right then, but I'm part of that group, right? And that the purpose of the Holy Spirit was to lead me into all. I believe it. I believe that if God's word is truth and he puts the Holy Spirit within me to lead me into truth, that he'll do that. I may be deceiving myself. But I, again, I take the Bible what? Literally. And so I believe if Jesus, God in the flesh, promised that, I believe he meant it. So I don't necessarily mean, now I'm not saying there's anything wrong with commentaries, okay? God uses that as well, okay? But if I'm only reading books about God's word, I'm not reading God's word. And that's where deceivers and false prophets are going to come in. Because they're going to tell you, oh, this is what God's word says, and you do what? You believe it. Because you didn't check it out and find out if it was true. Read it in context. So anyways... The Spirit expressly says, in the latter times, it's going to happen. People are going to depart from the faith. Well, you can't lose your faith. All you can prove is that you never had it. Do you understand? 
you can walk away from what is true. But eventually, if you're genuine, if you're dakamas, that's the Greek word meaning genuine, then you will return to that faith. That's what Jesus said, and those who continue to the end, who endure to the end, will be what? They'll be delivered. They'll be saved. Those who are his. Hebrews chapter 3. You can read and check me out. Hebrews chapter 3. Again, the writer says, lets us know that there's a, there's a, a way to prove out who's really genuine and who's not genuine, and that is what? They will endure to the end. Okay? So, clearly, there are going to be many apostates. People, because of the false Christ and false prophets, people are going to be turning away from the faith. 2 Thessalonians 2 says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if it was from us, as though the day of Christ had come. In other words, there's going to be people saying, what, Jesus already came, just like the, the millennialist that says Jesus came in the, in, the, in the claws of the hoofbeats of the Roman army. It's like, did they not read this passage or what? Anyways, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless what? There is an apostasy. There's a falling away. Comes first. And the man of sin is revealed in the son of perdition. There will be people who fall away. And you can continue to read about the man of lawlessness. It goes on in there. But Christ will not return until there comes a falling away first. We're going to see it throughout the world. People who turn away from the faith because of what? Go back to the other stuff? Because of persecution. The difficulties, whatever, the trials, the fire that's going to be coming upon us. And so, finally, we know from the book of um, Peter, turn with me to the second Peter chapter 3, that there's going to be as well scoffers in that day. Scoffers, people scoffing about the return of Christ and about creation. Beginning at verse um, 3 of Second Peter 3, we read, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. It's amazing how much we read about lust in the last days, huh? And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they were willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved in this, by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment in perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But as the day of the Lord, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Isn't it amazing how many the different writers have stated the same thing? They got it, okay? In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. Jesus is coming back is going to be like a thief in the night. You don't know when it's going to come, right? However, there are going to be what? Precursors to it. Peter already said that that last day is going to be noted by what? Scoffers. And they're going to be scoffing at two things specifically. Number one is the return of Christ. Oh, where is his return? Ah, you guys. You keep talking. Remember last week I mentioned this. I mean, it's because all these prophets, you know, who are going to be declaring the day of Christ's return. You know, the, you know, the, 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 the Y2K. Jesus was coming back at Y2K. And then you got, um, 
uh, Harold Camping, May 21st, 2011. Oops, I'm wrong. Maybe it's December of 2011. You know, and, 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 and people are going to start what? They're mocking. They're going to be scoffing. Oh, you guys keep talking about it. No, we don't keep talking about it. False prophets keep talking about it. And use the name for what it is. Harold Camping, and I'm not trying to be rude, declared himself to be a what? A, a prophet. And so therefore he's a what? A false prophet. I mean, his prophecy was what? Wrong. According to the Old Testament law, if we live there, he should be what? Stoned. Do you understand? So I'm not trying to be rude. He may be a believer. I don't know. That's between him and God. All I know is that he what? He, he was a false prophet. And we've got to be careful, again, to be proclaimers of the truth. Do you get it? If you were here in Sunday school, again, Isaiah 65 talks about that in that day when God's going to, and it's talking about this time frame right now, the age of grace, the age of the church, said in that day those who are going to be called by my name, because he's going to be turning away from Israel, and no longer will they be the ones called by his name. But in that day they will be ones who are seekers of and who take their oaths by the God of truth. God of truth. That's what he wants to be known as. And so, therefore, we are, he calls out that God is seeking true worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He wants to be proclaimers of truth, not proclaimers of what feels good to me, what makes people feel good, not what tickles their ears, not what, you know, doesn't offend them, but the speakers of truth. And I was talking to my mom, we were talking about, you know, about salvation. And, you know, when you witness this people, sometimes they take it as what? Judgment. You're trying to tell them the truth because you love them. And you don't want to see them go to hell. But what they hear is what? So you say, I'm going to hell. You're judging me. You're judging me. No, I'm not judging you. I mean, yes, in a sense, if you want to consider that. But no, my heart is not to judge you. My heart is to see you go to heaven with me. But it's a two-edged coin. A two-sided coin. On one side, you're saying, I want you to go to heaven with me. But the other side of the coin is saying what? If you don't, you're going to hell. You know, and so therefore I'm telling you this. And so it's an important thing. Well, the scoffers are going to be the same way. Oh, where is this return? You've been talking about this return for centuries and he hasn't come back. I mean, the Jehovah Witnesses, they have Jesus coming back in the, in the early 1900s and, and so on and so forth. And they still think that he did. Anyways, and you got all millennials who say that he came back in the, the, the you know, and that gets, what a, what a scoff that is, you know? And so the Tim LaHaye books, you know, the, the Left Behind series did a great job of putting out the problem is I don't necessarily believe in the, 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 the traditional view of, um, of the rapture either. I don't think it's going to happen in Revelation 4. I think that we're going to go through seals and trumpets. And if we do, okay, and I'm not a mid-trib rapturist, I'm a pre-trib rapturist, but if we do go through those seals and we do go through those trumpets, then you know what? Many who are going to fall away because they're not of the real faith, but there are going to be a lot of true believers who are going to be struggling too because they're not ready to go through it. You understand? Because we're Americans. We don't have to go through that kind of stuff. And they're going to go through it, and they're going to struggle with this thing. But it's going to give the world a greater opportunity to scoff of Christ's coming. But the second thing he says is that not only they are going to scoff at his coming, they're going to scoff at what? Creation. And he says that they're going to turn away from what they really knew already anyway. They knew it. And they chose to what? Reject it. Ignore it. Romans 1 talks about the same thing, that they suppress the 
truth and choose to worship the creation rather than the creator. And that's the day that we live in. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus is coming today, but I'm telling you that he could. I believe that Jesus could come at any moment. Do you believe it? Now, if we lived in these days of Jesus' incarnation, though, and we look at our world, the political and religious climate of our world, and I ask myself the same thing as we did with the incarnation, where do I fit in? What, what am I looking to for my Messiah, for my deliverer? Am I looking to politics? Am I looking to the culture? Or am I looking to Jesus coming? As we consider the changing landscape of the world, are you looking for a political deliverer? Or are you looking for Jesus? And if you are honestly looking for the return of Christ, what effect has it had upon your life? Finally, though, most importantly, Jesus came to redeem your sins. We're getting ready to, to transition into communion. Jesus came to redeem you from your sin. He's coming again to deliver his saints and judge the world. The, the main question is, which side of the second coming are you going to be on? When he comes again to deliver his saints and to judge the world, which, one of the, which side of the end are you going to be on? The deliverance side or the condemnation side? He wants you to be on the deliverance side. And that's what Christmas is all about to me. As I, re, as I look at the season now and his incarnation, to realize that God, the eternal one, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who breathed into man the breath of life, before the foundations of the world were ever laid, that he had determined that we were going to sin, we were going to fall away from him, and that he was going to have to come and be the sacrifice for us. And he willfully, willingly did that. He could have picked some other plan. He could have made it monetary. He could have, he could have done it by land. He could have done whatever he wanted to do. If you could reach the top of Mount Everest, climb and grab one of the thousand flags that I have there, and you could have eternity with me. He could have done that, yes? But he didn't. He made it as a free gift. That all you have to do is believe. Believe. You commit your heart to him because you believe that what he spoke is true. And so this season... Christmas. Oops. What is it to you? Is it all about Christ and a reminder of his coming? Or is it all about the world and the toys and the presents that you might be able to get? We're going to transition into communion. Um, I want to sing um, a verse or two of Loewe Comes with Clouds Descending as we, we go into this. And then we're going to take a moment um, to pray. So let's turn to 754 as a reminder of, of Jesus' coming. <clears throat> 